Fear and greed backs down a little. Consumer sentiment moves up a little. Curve keeps inverting. And another reminder, don't fight the Fed. It's a Super Bowl weekend edition of Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Yeah, Super Bowl weekend. And you did a nice job setting that up. A lot of information came in this week. And let's start with that. And then we're going to work our way into where we go from here. But of course, uh, economic data. Let's start with that, Derek. Well, the economic data was was generally positive. Consumer sentiment came out on Friday. That was better than expected, the highest it's been in about a year. So that's a positive. Uh, We did see some PMIs both this week and last week that showed the economy is slowing. And the yield curve, as Danny mentioned in the preamble, is at the most inverted level since the early 1980s. Historically, that has suggested that a recession is imminent, but that may not be the case. And it may not be the case because there's uh, outside influence in that. But let's talk about this inverted yield curve being a precursor for previous recessions. It has been a good forecaster in the past. It, it has. And one of the things we've talked about on our investment committee all the time is the playbook's a little different this time, given the COVID, given the lockdown, given the way different countries responded to it. But an inverted yield curve essentially is when short-term rates, I'll talk, let's say, three-month treasury bill, is trading at a higher yield than the 10-year, than the 10-year note. And that's currently the case, the most inverted, as we mentioned, since the early 80s. But the interesting thing is, if you look at the three-month treasury bill, it's trading at about 4.7%. The CPI is trading at 6.4%. So that's a negative real interest rate, right? But when you think about the 10-year treasury at 3.65, 10-year inflation expectations are 2.2. So that's actually a positive yield. So really, in real terms, the yield curve is not inverted. And that may be something that I don't think investors have factored in. You know, there's so many people right now, Derek, that are forecasting a recession for late 23 or early 24. And I've always argued that when everyone is standing on one side of the room to be careful. But, you know, we're looking at an unemployment number that it continues to be a 50-year low, a 50-year low in unemployment. And this is across all demographics as well. So that has been a really positive case. Now, let's take the other side of that argument. There is a possibility that the blowout number that we saw last week may have to be modified. Well, it may, but but the the gist of your discussion is, I think, pertinent. And that is that we, we did see a much better than expected labor report, 517,000 jobs added. And the really good news in that was wage growth actually went down. So where did those jobs come from? They came from lower paid service related uh, occupations that perhaps employers who normally would lay off people in January after the holiday season, they just decide to hold on to their workers because people are having a tough time finding qualified people. So let's talk about those layoffs, particularly in the tech industry. There's so many of these big companies, Amazon and the like, that have cut major jobs, tens of thousands of jobs. If you want to take the other side of that argument as well, that's going to improve their margins. That's not going to hurt their margins. Right. And in addition, we've often talked about how the market cap of the tech sector is is very high in the indices, but the number of people employed in the tech industry really isn't as big, isn't as representative. So the real interesting part about employment is where is it coming from the service side? That's where this economy is driven. That's where people's consumption patterns emanate from. So again, you know, people can focus on headlines all they want. What I see is a, is a market that seems to want to go higher. I talk to any of our clients. They're all very nervous, much more nervous than they were last year when they really should have been. And, and at this point, you know, I'm starting to see green shoots all over the place. 
Derek Felsky, our chief investment officer. Dave Spano, our president and CEO. Got the guys for the rest of the hour. Stick around for that. Great information, folks, whenever you need it. The Week in Review, available on demand this weekend. A couple of different places. The Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel. You can get it in the Axiom, which delivers on Sunday mornings, or on Spotify at the top of the hour. Just search Annex Wealth Management. It's Super Bowl weekend. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Here's your weekend reminder. Please sign up for the Axiom, which is our free weekly newsletter. You can get that on Sundays. Don't have to be a client for that. Connect with us on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube channel. Putting in new videos that Annex Wealth Management has produced every single week. Our SWAT podcast, you want to get in deep on how our investment team operates. That's on Monday mornings, usually on Spotify, mid-morning or so. And this show on demand on Spotify at the top of the hour. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is our chief investment officer. Dave Spano is president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, Danny. You know, if you watch CNBC, you can get all kinds of different opinions. If you walk to the grocery store, everyone has a thought on where the market's going to go. And that's really, folks, what makes a market. There's two sides of it. And I thought, Derek, that we might spend some time on, you know, there's a lot of people who are very, very bearish, and there's some people who are more bullish, and then there's a base case. And if you kind of think about that as a continuum. I want to kind of go through that because there is a bull case and there is a bear case. And let's start with the negative side first. Well, the negative side is the level of inflation is still well above the Fed's target of 2%. Uh, another part on the negative side is that earnings revisions continue to be negative. So we're looking at potentially negative earnings growth in 2023. And given the recent run-up, valuations are no longer attractive. Finally, corporate margins are starting to, to roll over, which will ne- negatively affect their company's ability to pay dividends and, and do buybacks and the rest. So the economy and corporate fundamentals are certainly a headwind, but there are tailwinds, as you're about to talk about. Yeah, but let's before we go into that. So the bear case, of course, is that the total earnings, the earnings of the aggregate S&P 500 comes out to a certain number. A lot of people are in the high 200s or so. In the real easy math, if you multiply that, say, call it 220 by the current multiple, that puts you at a number that is actually lower than where we are today, trading as of the close on Friday. So there is certainly an argument to be made that we may be overvalued right here. But as we just said, let's take the other side of the coin now, if you will, the bull case. And the bull case right now suggests that there is a lot of positive things out there. Most importantly, we started off with a plus 8% in January. And as January goes, is often a harbinger how the rest of the year is going to go. That's right. And there are other technical indicators we've seen. For example, Bespoke, one of our research departments, mentioned that 12 out of the last 13 days, the S&P has closed above its open. In other words, the market traded up throughout the day. That's only happened seven times. And in each case, it was in the midst of a bull market. Uh, the other bullish thing that people have to consider, too, is equities typically bottom and trough six to nine months before earnings reach their low. And if you think of October as the potential low, that would mean that earnings were revisions to the downside would end somewhere around the middle of the second quarter. So this rally that we're seeing could simply be a recognition that a lot of the negativity is already priced in. And we also know China's reopening. That's going to have an effect, too. So let's go back. You talked about October. We've certainly seen a rally 
that has started in October. So is this a bear market rally or is it the beginning of a new bull market? It's hard to say, but there's no question that the Federal Reserve has an overwhelming influence, at least on people's thinking right now. So the Fed obviously raised rates again last week, talking about raising them again to try to tamp down inflation. But inflationary pressures are still there. Let's talk about energy for a second. I mean, you know, if you think about what is going to be inflationary, we have a number coming up. We have what's called rental equivalency and energy prices, both going to put pressure on the Fed. Right. And energy prices are up recently. And we've seen gasoline prices begin to tick up at the pump. We know that oil prices have moved up. We saw on Friday that Russia was going to cut oil production. And in the meantime, we need to replenish our strategic petroleum reserve, which we managed to, to, to diminish to, to a diminish million in, barrels in, a front day. Of, in front of the midterm election. Right. For 200 days. So that's got to be replenished. And of course, at the same time, that is, of course, a demand supply issue. You've talked about Russia cutting back. They already announced a million barrels a day. And as you said on Friday, they had added another 500. So all in, that's two and a half million barrels a day. That's significant. So that will put uh, pressure on oil prices. If oil prices go up, gas prices go up. At the same time, we're looking at what's happening in the housing market, and it really hasn't cracked. It started to come down, but it really hasn't cracked. So with all of this information, there is a possibility that we can get a soft landing, and that is going to be an argument for the bulls. Well, and, and I think the odds of a soft landing in 2023 are very high, frankly. Um, that jobs report certainly uh, put the soft landing uh, argument in, in better footing. If, if I mean, can I interject? That is if that jobs report stands. You know, there's some people who say that jobs report came out, uh, you know, political motivation before the State of the Union. That's an argument that some people are making, and that is going to get revised downward. We'll have to see. Well, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm the first person who doubts government statistics, and, and, and I certainly don't, when I think about our portfolios and how we're positioned, I really try not to spend too much time reacting to the most recent headline and, and think more longer term. And the way I look at the, the, the situation right now is playing defense makes a little bit of sense, right? Let's let's have a neutral allocation to equities because we know not to fight the Fed and valuations are, are levitated. We should diversify geographically because there are other parts of the world that actually are seeing relative earnings growth better than the United States. And then finally, let's accept change. Let's accept that the leadership of this next bull market, when it emerges, may be very different from the leadership we saw in the last bull market. And that could be your base case, of course. We really don't know. And all of this volatility, as Derek just pointed out, really presents opportunity. But there's something that we cannot manage to, and we call that incident risk. And incident risk is everything that is, you know, the uncertainty of what's happening with Russia. And of course, how does our relationship go with China? These geopolitical risks are something that you really can't manage to. And that is the reason, folks, you have to go through your portfolio and make sure it's balanced. Make sure that you understand that your risk is tied to where you're trying to go. That's why we go through these portfolios, through every single holding. If you're a prospect, we go through every single holding. Should you hold it? Should you sell it or should you reposition and do something else with it? That is what you get when you come to Annex Wealth Management. If you're not working with anybody, let's put things in order for this year and beyond. If you're working with somebody else, nothing wrong with a second opinion. Let's look it over. It's called Wealth Metric. What we do is investment and retirement planning, tax planning and estate planning all together. That's what makes a great plan. Most importantly, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Even more important, we can do it for you. Head to AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button. 
Finally, decent returns for savers. We're going to concentrate on options for highly compensated individuals next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, is here. Hey, Keith. Hey, Danny. We're going to discuss the building blocks of savings for high earners, and these are individuals of above average compensation. Saving is important, and Keith is going to move through the hierarchy or most constructive way to build savings plans appropriate for these individuals. Keith, is this savings for saving's sake, or is this to fund or fuel investing? Well, it kind of goes up a range, and I would say it's more of an allocation than anything else. You save to one level, and then you start to invest, and you start to build some building blocks. First thing we'll have in place, and this is what everybody should have in place, are funds considered for emergency savings. Exactly. We recommend six months of living expenses to keep in savings, or at least have cash available for the emergencies that come up, or even longer than that in the case that there's a challenge to your family, you, you get laid off, something like that, and you need to find a new job. You want to make sure that you have some cash available and you're not stressing about that. There's different places you can plunk it. Do we usually suggest anything in particular? Well, it's interesting. Right now, I mean, just in the current environment, just in the last few months, you can earn money on money. For a long time, interest rates have been zero or near zero, and now you can find, well, it's treasury bonds, you can find money markets, CDs, things like that, that actually pay several percent of interest. Finally, right? Finally. A time for yeah. savers. Next up is the powerful and beloved HSA. I don't know who doesn't like these well, things. Danny, have you ever gone to the racetrack, Arlington Park or something, and played the ponies? Because I will tell you, this is the trifecta, because it is triple tax advantage. You get a deduction when you put the money in. It grows tax-free, and then it comes out tax-free. And even a Roth IRA, you've already paid tax on it going in. This is the best. This is triple tax advantage. But to exploit that, if possible, you don't want to use it along the way. The point is defer the maximum amount you can annually into that account, then pay your medical expenses ongoing, you know, your things subject to a deductible, what have you, co-pays, out of your other money, and keep track of it because you can reimburse yourself later for it. But then you invest it, and oh, as years go by, it grows tax-free, just like a Roth, and then when we'll all need money for health insurance. <laughs> Amen. Some, yeah. Health needs someday, of course. And then it comes out tax-free as well. Savings constructed for highly compensated individuals. Now to what I've heard you describe as double-tax-preferenced items. Can you right. expand on that? Sure. There are a number of things. One is... At this point in time, you want to make sure you're at least deferring into your 401k, 403b, or whatever's offered at your place of employment as much as you possibly can. Now, many of these plans now have a Roth component, and sometimes people aren't even aware of that. Because a lot of times, you know, we have a, a new client that comes in, they say, oh yeah, we've got, we've got my 401k here, and we open up an IRA, and then then our client service manager goes on the phone to make the call, and it turns out they had a Roth component they didn't even know about. Uh, and then we have to open a Roth IRA, which is fine, of course. At this point, we can give advice on that as well. Because if your plan offers both traditional and Roth component, the traditional, of course, gives you the tax advantage now. And our tax team can provide advice as to how much to put into one and how much to put in the other. I've heard you say absolutely positively, do not ignore spousal contributions if you can. Oh, that's true. Yes. And because for married couples, it's a household income because you need earned income in order to defer into IRAs and such. But a spouse that is not working for money at that point in time, they can use their spouse's earnings to fund that. The highest level comes from an estate planning standpoint, and this is creating trusts for the future. That's a little bit more complex. Right. That is, if you've got everything else taken care of, that's the ultimate estate planning device is, in my opinion, a dynasty sort of trust. Because what this does is this would allow you, if you've accumulated a very nice estate, if you will, 
that you can actually take care of generations. Okay, um, the first temptation is to just I'll just leave it to my kids, and maybe that's appropriate. There's no one size fits all. Uh, all facts are different. But if you have the ability to create trusts that will take care of and be beneficial for your children during their lifetime, but that never distributes out to them during their lives, then it goes to grandchildren. And then ultimately, perhaps great-grandchildren, you can provide at least security, you know, roof over the head, food, you know, for people that may have challenges in their life. And wouldn't it be just wonderful to know that that is in place and is going to happen? Yeah, it would. And it would have been nice to have a great-grandfather who did that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Annex Wealth Management works with clients from the early stages far into the kind of complex situations we're discussing here. We'll meet you where you are, and we'll take it from there. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Keith Butler is a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Bottom of the hour, let's get caught up and head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Time for Ask Annex. As always, got a question for us, head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. If we can help, just go ahead and click that Get Started button. Sarah Kyle's in the studio, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hello. Hello, Danny. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Hey, Danny couple of planning questions and we'll get to a tax question. First one is anonymous. Until inflation eases, I need to contribute less to my savings and investing. I have both an HSA and a 401k. I believe I should scale back on the HSA before the 401k. What are your thoughts? Well, there are advantages and disadvantages and strings attached to both. So like, for example, for the 401k, you could always take a loan out from that someday if you needed it, but not your HSA. But, you know, I would just suggest if your HSA isn't invested, and it's sitting in cash, I would cut back on that first and keep putting into your 401k. Kind of comes down to what your long-term goals are. And then again, yeah, what can you access? So at HSA, I would almost look at it as like a forced savings account as well too, because if you're cutting back on expenses, one potential pitfall is going to be a medical expense. And if you're contributing to your HSA, you can pull that out tax-free, penalty-free to pay for those medical expenses as they come due. And also, if you think of it from a retirement standpoint as well, once you hit 65, you can pull money out of an HSA to cover everyday expenses and not have the penalty. You just pay the tax like you would out of a traditional IRA. One thing to consider though too when you're making that decision is if a lot of 401ks or retirement retirement plans have a match from your company, you want to make sure you're at least getting that before you contribute anywhere else too. That's free money and who doesn't want that free money? Here's one from Tyler. My wife and I had a child in December. I was convinced to open a 529 plan after the baby was born, but I'm starting to have second thoughts. It's a lifetime away before college comes into the equation. What if they don't go to college right away or even at all? Does it make sense to open a high-yield savings account and store the cash, gifts from family, till the baby gets a little older, then put it in a 529 plan down the line? Well, Tyler, you think 18 years is a lifetime away, but boy, it sure goes fast. One day you're going to wake up, they're going to be driving, and they're going to be going to college in two years. So it's good that you're thinking about this now because it certainly goes fast. I wouldn't have second thoughts about contributing to a 529 plan. It's still a great saving vehicle. And under the SECURE Act 2.0, effective in 2024, 529 plans can now be transferred into a Roth IRA in the beneficiary's name. But there are a lot of rules that come along with this, like the 529 has to be open for 15 years, the last five years of contributions cannot be transferred, and the beneficiary must have some sort of compensation. One other thing is the lifetime transfer amount is $35,000. But you know, you can always consider 
a custodial brokerage account for an UGMA, for example. It's called the Uniform Gifts to Minors Act. That brokerage account is in your child's name, and it's also under their Social Security number. So the earnings are taxed at the child's tax rate rather than yours. And there's no limit on how they can spend that money. However, one drawback is when your child turns age of majority, that account transfers into their name, and then the child owns those assets. But the UGMA accounts can also affect how uh, financial aid because they have to list that asset on the application for financial aid. It's Ask Annex and another great example of the team concept that we operate with here because when we get a tax question, we just head to Tanya's office. Tanya Sinha joins us. She's manager of tax planning and a CPA. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Interesting question. I just got my W-2 and realized I did not withhold enough in taxes. What can I do? I'm afraid I'll be paying penalties and interest now. Okay. Well, I guess it depends on Did they have no taxes withheld or did they just do their W-4 incorrectly? So we're not quite sure of that. If there's no taxes paid at all, that's a problem, isn't it? That's a big problem. We all get a W-2. For example, when I get a W-2 in my hand, I am looking, I'm comparing my amounts from box one, which says federal income, and then I'm comparing with taxes withheld, and I am freaking out too, Mm. trust me. Honestly, I'm like, how much did I pay? I'm starting calculating numbers in my head. So it is scary to get a W-2 in your hand and you're wondering, will you get a refund this year? Okay, let's just say they really blew it and there's no taxes withheld. Do Mm -hmm. they need to pay taxes now ahead of filing their taxes? Yes. Yes. I would suggest yes. The due date for estimated payments to be made is gone. The due date was January 18th and people must be thinking, okay, I did not make any payments. I can just make it when I file my taxes. Right, that's what I would think. Yeah. Right. No. No. Because IRS charges penalty based on every month. The IRS charges penalty of 0.5% of taxes owed each month after the due date. So by paying now, you're going to avoid penalty for the month of March and for the month of April. How do they figure out how much they owe? Easiest way, use the safe harbor rule. What that is, open your last year tax return. If your total taxes owed was $10,000 and If you see on your W-2 that you only withheld $2,000, that means you need to make a payment of $8,000 right now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. No, I get it. We get this question a lot when some people have a W-2 and then they have a side hustle or they have investments. You know, they get a 1099. They're like, I don't know how much my investments are going to make this year. I don't know how much taxes to pay. Again, do the safe harbor rule. Pay 100% of what you paid last year. Or if your AGI is above $150,000, then you need to pay 110% off your taxes from last year. Well, this is no fun at all. And that's, of course, it's the IRS. All right. So does this get back to the W-4? Because I find that the most confounding thing to fill out. It is. It can be very confusing. For example, we have some clients who have two kids. I tell them, do not even put exemption for your kids. You know, just put exemption zero, always zero. And then if you think you are still withholding less, there is a section says extra withholding, you can put a flat fee in there. Depending upon your budget, how much are you willing to take less in your pay check every month? Tanya Sinha, manager of tax planning and a CPA at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome, Danny. Matt Moore is the Investment Team Manager and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. There are more than 300,000 military veterans in Wisconsin. Navigating disability ratings takes work. We've got two Annex members who are equipped to answer some of the questions. One is Army, the other Marine. We'll see how that goes. That's next after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.
Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? This segment is about those who served. It might not be you, but it might be somebody you know and love. When veterans separate from the armed services, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs provides numerous benefits. However, for veterans managing the transition, retaining the full extent of their earned military benefits can be difficult, and many veterans miss out on vital care. We're going to talk about this with two Annex Wealth Management teammates who have real-life experience with the armed forces. Brandon Lehman is here, Director of Branch Development, CFP, and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Danny. Brandon, your connection with the military is? Back in now for seven years, currently serving in the Army Guard, uh, doing in the engineer, in the engineer corps. Also with us, Kent Helene, Associate Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. First time on the show. Kent, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And you represent the United States Marine Corps. Tell us a little bit about your service. I enlisted in 2011, went through uh, boot camp and school of infantry, and I've been uh, a rifleman or leading rifleman since then, and uh, I've definitely met some amazing people. We're going to focus this discussion on disability benefits, which can be a complex process. Veterans need to have a current illness or injury known as a condition that affects their mind or body and to have served an active duty, active duty for training or inactive duty training. Brandon, how much confusion is there? Well, it's funny you say that because the part you just went over, all those different types of trainings is just confusing enough for those of us that have been right. in long enough. But in honesty, you know, as one who has a disability rating personally, 2022 survey that showed that of the 1,000 veterans, 48% of them did not currently understand the disability benefits and how to get them. And actually, 4 out of 10 struggled to even get adequate education when they left the service. And, and again, I can vouch for that because when you leave or when we go through these outbreaks, there's just so much complexity there and trying to wrap your hands around it, your head around it can be incredibly difficult. And that's a darn shame. Ken, there's some key conditions that need to be met. What are they? One, you have to have either gotten sick or injured while serving in the military. Another one that has to be met out of the three, you had an illness or injury before you joined the military and serving made it worse. Or third, you have a disability related to your active duty service that didn't appear until after you ended your service. So examples of that would be pretty common things like tinnitus, general hearing loss, and then you see a lot of joint pain, cervical pain. I've got to imagine both of you guys have ringing ears, don't you? Always. Always. It's never gone away. Yeah. One benefit veterans with disabilities need to know is in regard to housing. How's that work, guys? Not to get too in-depth here because there's a lot of research online and a lot of tools that the VA can give you, but there's two really important things. The first is the specially adaptive housing for those who can qualify can be up to a $109,000 grant to help them modify their home. The other side of it is the special home adaptation grant, which isn't as much, widens the net a little bit and who can qualify for it. But again, that's $22,000 up to that can help them modify, make living conditions a little bit more beneficial for them after they've gotten out of the service. And that's key because sometimes we just need it. Sometimes wheelchairs, crutches, canes, those different things. So it's really important. When you're in a chair, you would need special automobile equipment and there's a grant for that as well. So really what you're looking at here is those that are probably in a wheelchair, those are the disabled that need some sort of assistance with a vehicle, but still want to have their mobility. And that's what's key. I do have family members who qualify for that and, you know, they still want to have that ability to feel like they have freedom. So you can work with the VA and you can get special qualifications that allow you to modify the vehicle, lift the vehicle, do those types of things. So you don't feel like your freedom of mobility is 100% taken away. 
Brandon Lehman, Director of Branch Development, CFP, and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, also a company commander in the Army Guard. Kent Helene is an Associate Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, a platoon sergeant with 12 years of service in the selected Marine Corps Reserve, recovering veteran disability benefits and offering some guidance on potentially complex topics. Uh, Kent, what can you tell us about a clothing allowance for veterans? How would they need that with disability? Some disabilities and injuries require either a medicine that has to be applied to the skin or prosthetic or something that would be beneficial to the person um, with that clothing. What this really focuses on is damage to clothing or replacing that clothing, depending if that medicine damages it or has some chemical properties that is going to cause you to replace that clothing. So this gives you an allowance each year to be able to replace that clothing and kind of cut out on some of that frustration after an injury. You know, one we often hear about is educational benefits and employee readiness. I think that's really where we do okay as a nation for our veterans. I would say that we do a really good job educating that. You look at the briefs that we have while we're in service. The folks come to us, they talk to us about the opportunities. But I think something that is underutilized is just looking for and help getting ready to get out in the field. So the veteran readiness and employment programs are there to help you get set up when you leave your active duty service and taking advantage of that is is incredibly important. And then finally, let's talk about temporary disability rating increases. What does that mean? Yeah, so there's a situation where maybe you're going to be going in for surgery and it's going to be a couple weeks. You can get a rating that'll give you basically 100% of disability for that time being, and then it drops back down because after that, theoretically, you'll be back to normal after you get that care. It's a unique thing. I'd never heard of it until right now. I mean, neither did I. It's an amazing benefit, but I think the key to all this, um, when you look at the disability side, and I tell this to all my soldiers day in and day out, especially the ones that are, as we call ETS, they're ending their service obligation is, look, you need to document, document, document. If you don't document, it never happened. Same with compliance in the field that we're in with financial services industry, right? If you didn't document it, it never happened. So pushing soldiers, pushing young Marines, as Kent is used to dealing with, to document everything is the utmost importance. Brandon just came back from drill, so his hair is good. I don't know about you. uh, That's uh, uh, next weekend. That's next weekend, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Brandon Lehman, Director of Branch Development, CFP, and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Danny. Kent Helene, Associate Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you so much, Danny. There's more to come. We're going to take a quick break and be back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. We're back. Reminder, this show is going to be on Spotify at the top of the hour. If you came in partway through and want to hear the whole thing, that's uh, great. Just head to Spotify, search Annex Wealth Management. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer in the studio. Dave Spanos, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. You know, Danny, we covered this a lot over the last number of weeks, but this shift from quantitative easing where the government injected money into the economy to quantitative tightening where they're taking it out is a major shift. It is a sea change in how people invest. And what the reason why I bring that up is because as you compose a portfolio, your inputs are, are really important. And so a change in interest rate means you have to look at your portfolio differently. Differently. And for example, you and we talk about, you know, large caps versus small caps and value versus growth. All of those need to be addressed right now. Well, they certainly do. And, and people get lazy. You know, they remember they, they fall in love with companies that they own. They fall in love with mutual funds that they own. And many times you find that a mutual fund did well because it was overly concentrated in a particular area. Perhaps that portfolio manager just loves tech stocks and will always be overweight tech stocks. So when tech stocks do well, he's the five-star fund manager. But when the opposite occurs, you know, the, and the tide goes out, you find out he was kind of swimming naked. So you have to be, a you know, tactical 
skeptical about the way you think of things. And when I think about the fixed income area, for the longest time, there was a war on savers. You got nothing, literally nothing from the balances you had in your checking and savings accounts. And right now, I would I advise all of you to look at what your balances are in your checking account and say, is, am I getting an interest rate on this? Because right now, at the custodians we work for, we're getting a roughly 4% on our money fund assets. That's risk-free. That's free cash. You can pull it out whenever you need to to pay bills or whatever else. And don't be lazy about it. This is real money. Yeah, and of course, there's you talk about other parts of the portfolio and fixed income or bonds now are presenting an opportunity. And I know a lot of people look at their bond portfolio differently, but right now you can look at that bond portfolio, Derek, and say, geez, there's an opportunity there. Well, and particularly if you're older and you need a paycheck and you, and you really don't like the volatility you've seen in the markets and you do fear geopolitical risks, like perhaps Taiwan being invaded by the Chinese, well, that might cause you to, to invest a little bit more in fixed income because that ought to hold up real well if that event transpired. But if you're a younger person, I don't really care what the valuation of the stock market is. Start dollar cost averaging because as Peter Lynch said, bull markets are eternal and, and bear markets are really just blips. And you talked about the 60-40 portfolio last year and obviously it was not very good, but look where we are now. After one month, the 60-40 portfolio is up significant. And do you know, Derek, this is the best 60-40 portfolio for one month since 1991, more than 30 years. So there's always a reversion to the mean, and those people who want to pile on and knock down the 60-40 portfolio, there is an opportunity, and that's the reason why, Danny, we often talk about this, is to go through the two deliverables that we give. If you call us, you're going to get these two things. One, come in, and we will give you a framework for a financial plan. We'll talk that through and show you what that's going to look like. And number two, we're going to give you an assessment of what you own, a second set of eyes on what you own. This is something that you get from Annex Wealth Management from a team of professionals, people with long-standing experiences in this industry. We have lawyers on staff and CPAs and CFAs. We have really a great team. And speaking of teams, Derek, I don't know who you have for the Super Bowl, but uh, AFC versus NFC, we're going to have to watch this closely. Well, it's going to be an interesting game. First time two African-American quarterbacks have faced each other in the Super Bowl. Uh, brothers facing each other as well. I, I used to live in Kansas City. I also went to business school in Philadelphia, so I'm torn. Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Dave Spano, our President and CEO, uh, Annex Wealth Management. I was going to ask you for a score, but we'll keep that off the air. Yeah, All thanks, right. Danny. Thank Good show again. Much. Thanks, everybody. Solutions, not commissions. Competency, transparency, expertise. We're passionate about what we do. Let's bring it to you. We're going to be back here next Saturday at 10 o'clock. Hope you can join us. If not, find us on Spotify. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.